0: All right, so we're going to continue in our study of Hebrews. We're going to be in chapter 6 today, and as you find your way there through the app or in your Bible, for those of you who still have those physical Bibles, man, they're awesome. Find your way to Hebrews chapter 6. I want to tell you, today is a cool day. I've been excited about today for like two weeks. I, I really have been. I'm just pumped about... Uh, this section of scripture. And I want you to know there's a challenge in it for us, but there is a strong encouragement. Now, don't raise your hand, but I just want you to think about something. Do any of you need strong encouragement? I think many of us would be like, yeah, that's me. (laughs) But here's the thing. We don't always want the strong encouragement. We kind of like, you know, the weak sauce encouragement. You say, what do I mean? We like for our encouragement to be um, in our feels, in our emotion. Um, We'll even, you know, kind of build one another up almost in falsehood. You can do anything. You're all right. You got it. And then, you know, it it doesn't quite work out that way. No, strong encouragement is in truth. It's anchored in truth. And so for us in the faith, it means it's anchored in doctrinal truths. And sometimes getting our mind around those is a little difficult. takes some work. And so this morning, it's going to take some work. And so what I'm going to ask you to do is just lean in. Pay attention. Try not to get distracted. This will not be the easiest sermon to follow. Uh, I was telling somebody beforehand, it's not like this is very linear. We're just going to circle for the next two hours, and it's going to be great. Okay? Yes. All right. So Hebrews began, just a quick review. Hebrews began by the author reminding us that Jesus is the better revelation. God, in full, made himself known in the Son. God, known in Jesus. And hence, the revelation proclaimed in Jesus surpassed that of God's heavenly servants, the angels, and any earthly servants, even great heroes like Moses and Joshua. You remember him breaking that down and we saw that while these creations are servants in creation, Jesus, the Son, God, is creator over creation. And therefore, Jesus alone brings true deliverance, true rest, a rest that's incomparable with that which could be delivered by such servants or anything less than him. For in Jesus there is a Sabbath rest, a perfect peace with God. It's like no other. And so the author warned us to take care. Don't fall away like the wilderness generation whose lack of faith delivered death. In the wilderness, instead of God's promises in the promised land. And as this happens, the author makes a critical qualifier to us, and maybe you'll remember us going through this earlier this spring. Watch, listen. We have entered into Jesus' rest only if, We hold our original confidence firm to the end. See, he said in Hebrews chapter 3, verse 6, We are his house. If indeed we hold fast our confidence and our boasting and our hope. Verse 14, For we have come to share in Christ. If indeed we hold our original confidence firm to the end. And now in this section that we've been in in chapter 5 and chapter 6, the author again is giving us a warning. Don't be sluggish. Don't be satisfied. Go on to maturity. Let your faith thrive. Let it overtake you. Stick with it. Persevere. For our big truth, promises are inherited with faith and patience. Hebrews chapter 6, verse 11, and we desire each one of you to show the same earnestness, to have the full assurance of hope until the end, so that you may not be sluggish, but imitators of those who through faith and patience inherit the promises so the author says okay look to the examples of those who held fast to their faith be imitators means followers walk in their direction of who verse 12 those who inherited the promises through faith the full assurance of hope in God patience, held until the end. And the example given here, there's more later to come in Hebrews 11, but the example given here is the example of Abraham. The author says, imitate him, consider and walk in his direction, who after 25 years offered up his promised son, As a sacrifice before God in obedience. And listen, we talked about this last week. If you weren't here, go back. It's a great review of Abraham. Abraham, he he didn't understand how this would all play out, he didn't rationalize why. And he certainly didn't feel good about it. Rather, he held to his faith with patience. Because he considered who God is. It didn't have anything to do with his circumstance. He considered who God is. Hebrews 11, verse 17. By faith, Abraham, when he was tested, offered up Isaac. And he who had received the promise was in the act of offering up his only son of whom it was said, through Isaac shall your offspring be named. Now listen to verse 19. He considered that God was able even to raise him from the dead, from which, figuratively speaking, he did receive him back. Abraham, by faith, considered the revelation of who God is And what he is capable of. This was faith. The assurance. The substance. Of things hoped for. The conviction of things not seen. So again I want you to notice the author is bringing definition to authentic faith. It's a sub point that's running through this section of scripture. Faith isn't whatever we want it to be. You hear me? Faith isn't just what we want it to be. Faith isn't a God. Faith in and of itself isn't redeeming. It, it isn't some abstract response. Let, let me try to give you, to you in just a lighthearted example. Pastor Paul. By the way, he made you think about me in a swimming pool um, a little kiddie pool on the beach. I don't know why he did that. That was mean. So I want you to imagine (laughs) Pastor Paul in a cape and spandex (laughs) pretending to be Superman. Now, Pastor Paul believes he's Superman. He has faith that he is Superman. But if he jumps off his roof in faith, thinking he can fly. What is that? Even more, if he claims to be Superman in faith, but he won't jump off the roof, what is that? See, we say silly things all the time and we don't think about it. You ever hear someone say, I'm a person of faith? How silly. What does that mean? That's Paul. Paul. In spandex and a cape pretending to be Superman. So what's your point? The value of faith is only as valuable as the substance. Faith is the substance, the assurance of our hope in Jesus. As a Jesus follower, it is the substance of Jesus in our life. If you have Jesus, it changes you. It is the substance of Jesus in our life, the conviction, the resolved rest of promises not yet experienced. And so, Our terminology can easily twist. And so the Bible primarily defines faith through practical examples. That's what's happening here in Hebrews. Consider Abraham, whose faith is active and alive with hope in who God is. Whose faith is practiced, exercised, maturing, with hope in who God is, if your faith is not it's what you have faith? See that's the challenge, but faith is patient and it perseveres until the end with hope in who God is. Do you see that? that's the encouragement because Let's just be honest. A lot of us, man, we're walking around like Abraham. God has promised us presence with him where there's no sin, no loss, no pain. My life doesn't feel like that today. I'm surrounded by suffering. I'm surrounded by injustice. And I wait For something I have not yet experienced. And so two things are happening here. Be warned. Take care that you have Jesus. Hold fast to your faith. And be encouraged. Have Jesus. You have Jesus. Your hope is sure. So hold fast to your faith. And persevere. And to help us see this, the author says, consider Abraham, verse 13. For when God made a promise to Abraham, since he had no one greater by whom to swear, he swore by himself, saying, surely I will bless you and multiply you. Now remember, God promised Abraham a great nation and a great land through whom the nations of the earth shall be blessed. However, God's promise, promise wasn't immediate, and it wasn't easy for Abraham to get his arms around. It be 25 years of wrestling and struggling through that, and throughout, Abraham's expression of faith wasn't perfect. He pursued compromise more than once, but again and again, he repented and acted in faith with patience to the point of offering his promised son as a sacrifice. in which it is impossible for God to lie. Let's pause there for just a second. God gave two confirming assurances here. First, God gave his word. He gave his word. He stated his will. Now, we call that a promise, right? It's a promise. And our promises aren't guaranteed, right? our promises aren't guaranteed. We're not sovereign. We're not in control. That's why even at Tri-Cities, in our membership, we have membership promises, not membership guarantees. We know we will fail, but as a church, we are called to do things like pray for one another. It's part of the responsibility in which we are called to, and so we promise We state our will, even for us, knowing our will is broken, knowing we are not sovereign, our intent to pray for one another. But God's promises are guarantees because God is sovereign. There is nothing outside of his control. God's promises aren't like our promises. It is a declaration of his sovereign will. So when God gives his word and states his will in his sovereignty, it's a guarantee. Second, he gave an oath. He gave an oath. When we swear by an oath, here's what we do. We wait our certainty. We try to convince of our certainty And we usually do this by someone or something that is greater than ourselves. You've heard silly examples of people who might say something like, I swear on the life of my unborn child. They're trying to weight their certainty. And there's a problem with that, right? The problem is we're not sovereign. We're not the sustainers. We don't have authority. We're not the creator. And that's why James says in James chapter 5, verse 12 But above all, my brothers, do not swear, either by heaven or by earth or by any other oath. But let your yes be yes and your no be no, so that you may not fall under condemnation. Let me just chase a rabbit. it's it's just a rabbit it's a side it fits here but I just want to say this back to you the church is more guilty of taking God's name in vain than the lost are we say things like so flippant God put it on my heart God told me God gave me a word God called me to If what comes out of your mouth next isn't scripture, woe to you. Woe to you. If your interpretation isn't impeccable, you take God's name in vain to just wait your proclamation. See, in reality, what you are doing is speaking as a prophet for God. You are saying, thus says the lord and the old testament prophets that misrepresented god were killed deuteronomy 18:20 says the prophet who presumes to speak a word in my name that i have not commanded him to speak that same prophet shall die adopt the same reverent caution to speak for the lord it is beyond our authority We are not the creator, we are not the sustainer, we are not sovereign. But unlike us, God is sovereign and creation is under his authority. So God could have rightly sworn by valuable aspects of his creation, by the sun, by the earth, by the angels, but he didn't swear by any of these. why? That he would bring the encouragement he desired. Every one of those things, the sun itself, all of the earth fell short of what he desired to do, to bring encouragement. And so God swore by himself He swore by his unchanging character. The idea being that God is as likely to break his promise as he is to devalue or despise himself. And so therefore, God, by two unchangeable things, his will, his sovereignty, his word, and his character, his name, guaranteed his promise see God could go no further in his oath the most powerful guarantee he could give was himself was himself so notice the substance of faith it is not Abraham's circumstance it's not Abraham's logic or Abraham's will or Abraham's emotion no God and God himself is the substance of Abraham's faith. Abraham, who inherited God's promise through faith with patience, faith in the supremacy of God as he revealed and promised himself to be. With faith that did not waver but held fast through active patience. Year after year, looking unto the Lord, considering he is able. And so with all that in mind, this example of Abraham that's outlined for us here that we have spent the last week and a half unpacking, the author, inspired by the Holy Spirit, pivots. And don't miss it. It's so cool pivots so wake up and take notice verse 17 so when God desired to show more convincingly to the heirs of the promise the unchangeable character of his purpose he guaranteed it with an oath so that by two unchangeable things in which it is impossible for God to lie we who have fled for refuge might have strong encouragement After considering Abraham and holding him out as an example so that we might have a picture of faith, pivots back to the Jesus follower and says, we, we, verse 13, the heirs of God's promise to Abraham. Now Paul just states this explicitly, so I just want to read it to you, anchor in, and then we're going to move forward. Galatians chapter 3, verse 6, just as Abraham... Believed God and it was counted to him as righteousness. Know then that it is those of faith, if you're in Christ Jesus today as a Gentile, those of faith who are sons of Abraham. And the scripture, foreseeing that God would justify the Gentiles by faith, preached the gospel beforehand to Abraham, saying, In you shall all the nations be blessed. So then, those who are of faith are blessed along with Abraham, the man of faith. We, those of faith, are the heirs of God's promise to Abraham back in verse 17. If you are in Christ Jesus, you are reading about yourself. So the promise, watch this, it's so cool, the promise was given to show more convincingly to us God... Made a promise to Abraham by his word and his name to show more convincingly today to us who are in Christ Jesus. If you are in Jesus, you were on his mind back in that promise to Abraham to give you strong encouragement. Notice the author is kind of building argument in the context. Abraham. Blessed to see Isaac, after all those years, his promised child. But Abraham lived before the better revelation. Before Jesus took flesh. Before Jesus defeated death. Before God provided the lamb, his son, Jesus, as the ultimate sacrifice. But we, us, those of us today we have experienced a better revelation. Remember, that's how Hebrews began. Hebrews chapter 1, verse 1, Long ago, at many times and in many ways, God spoke to our fathers by the prophets. But in these last days, he has spoken to us by his Son, whom he appointed the heir of all things through whom also he created the world. He is the radiance of the glory of God and the exact imprint of his nature, and he upholds the universe by the word of his power. We, those of faith, are the heirs of God's promise to Abraham. We, who have fled for refuge, have obtained rest in Jesus. God desired to show to us More convincingly, so that we, verse 18, might have strong encouragement. God gave two confirming assurances to Abraham with us in mind. So that we would hold fast to the hope that is set before us. So that we would hold to our faith with patience. So that we would stick with it. That we would not grow sluggish or be satisfied. So that our faith might be fueled by the truth of who God is. Not our circumstance. Not our emotion. Not our logic. But that our faith would be convinced and secure and assured by who God is. The substance of our faith. I think it's fitting to <laughs> just celebrate Keller and give him a quote. He said, the great basis of Christian assurance is not how much our hearts are set on God, but how unshakably his heart is set on us. Our faith is not about us. He is the substance of our faith. He is our better high priest who brings a better covenant. He is our better hope. How can we be sure? Just as Abraham is called to slaughter his son, let us be honest with the gospel. We are called to die to self and find life in Jesus, to live by faith in him, This is beyond my logic. This is beyond my will. It is certainly beyond my emotion. I do not like the idea of dying to myself. But my hope is in something beyond my current circumstance. And so we live a life of repentance, dying to self and running. Fleeing to Jesus for refuge, for salvation, for life. So how can we be sure? Verse 19, we have this as a sure and steadfast anchor of the soul. A hope that enters into the inner place behind the curtain where Jesus has gone as a forerunner on our behalf. Having become a high priest forever after the order of Melchizedek. How can we be sure? Because we have this the strong encouragement of God Himself, His will, His sovereignty, His character, His name. And we have it perfectly revealed in Jesus, God in flesh. We have it so much better than Abraham had it. We have it perfectly revealed in Jesus. We have a better revelation. God in flesh who enters into the inner place behind the curtain in God's very presence. Jesus, our perfect high priest, took our sin, died with our sin, atoned for our sin, now resurrected, has gone as a forerunner on our behalf into the presence of God behind the curtain, having become our high priest forever and after the order of Melchizedek not just another broken temporary Levitical priest no a better perfect high priest forever in the presence of God on your behalf on my behalf as our righteousness in full we have the assurance that it's in him and in no part in us we have this, and not with some flimsy hope, rather a hope that is guaranteed by God himself, his Sovereign, His sovereignty, his name, the name of Jesus, the steadfast anchor of our soul, a strong encouragement for those who flee to him for refuge. So one kind of final thought as we begin to build into a time of response and application, What does it look like to flee to Jesus for refuge? So what does it look like to inherit God's promised rest? Do what the author of Hebrews has challenges us to do. Consider Abraham. Genesis 15:6: Abraham believed the Lord. And he counted it to him as righteousness. Hebrews eleven seventeen. By faith, Abraham considered that God was able. See, Abraham did not earn his righteousness through his works. Paul makes this clear in Romans chapter 4, verse 1. What then shall we say was gained by Abraham, our forefather according to the flesh? His faith is counted as righteousness. In other words, Abraham did not earn his righteousness. Was it because of something Abraham did? But that doesn't mean that genuine faith is passive. No, it's active. And that's the tension that the author of Hebrews is walking. And so James, going back to the same account of Abraham in James chapter 2, verse 14, says this What good is it, my brothers, if someone says he has faith but does not have works? Can that faith save him? Verse 17 Faith by itself, if it does not have works, is dead. It's dead. Verse 21, here's the context, back to Abraham. Was not Abraham our father justified by works when he offered up his son Isaac on the altar? You see that faith was active along with his works, and faith was completed by his works. And the scripture was fulfilled that says, Abraham believed and it was counted to him as righteousness. And he was called a friend of God. You see that a person is justified by works and not by faith alone. So Abraham's actions were not in pursuit of self-righteousness. There's nothing he could earn in God's rest. But that's not what the author of Hebrews and James is saying. What they are saying back to us is giving us definition of authentic faith. That it compels us to flee to Jesus with desperate hope that our faith is active, it is life-changing, because it is the substance, not of our circumstance, not of our logic, not of our will or our emotion, but our faith is the substance of who God is, who He is, and the very revelation of who He is changes who we long to be. It compels us to flee to him. It compels us not to be sluggish, not to be satisfied, but to run on to Jesus, to go on to maturity, to again and again repent and turn to him who has revealed and guaranteed a strong encouragement for us in himself, in our savior Jesus. And so as the team comes up, I wanna summarize through just three big ideas that you can kinda take back and just study through and think through. First, don't be sluggish, be encouraged. We have God's sovereign will and unchanging character as a sure and steadfast anchor of the soul our hope is secure in who jesus is he is sovereign his character is unchanging jesus is the anchor of our soul second don't be sluggish be encouraged we have a strong encouragement to hold fast to the hope that is set before us. Don't grow slow. Don't be satisfied with where you are. Don't grow complacent. Hold fast to what lies ahead. Run to Jesus for refuge and keep running. Third, don't be sluggish, be encouraged. Church, we have Jesus. Be encouraged. Your hope is not in yourself. Your hope is not in the circumstances of this world. Jesus has gone on into the very presence of God behind the curtain on our behalf. Atone for our sin as the perfect high priest, be encouraged, we have Jesus. I'm gonna ask you to just enter into a posture of prayer, bow your head and just set aside the things that are beside of you and just give attention to you and the Lord. In just a second, Paul's gonna lead us in a time of response, but I wanna give you just a moment there where you sit to consider Do you have Jesus? God has revealed himself and convincingly so in Jesus. He is our refuge, he is the anchor of our soul. In him there is life and apart from him there is only death. Through faith in him, we have assurance. We have hope, perfect rest. As you pray, Consider, do you have Jesus?